Morning, church. You guys want to hear something a little strange but true about, about Evan? All right. So who here, I'm not, no show of hands, but there is the Disney rendition of Shakespeare's Hamlet, and it's called The Lion King. Oh, children, teens, we dismiss you. Go. Go. Because I can't say, all right, beat it from behind the pulpit. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so anyway, every time, and this is, I ne- in the back of my mind, every time I get up behind the pulpit, I say, hey, brothers and sisters, it's good to see you. But what runs through my mind is, my friends. Which if you've seen The Lion King is what Scar says when the hyenas are coming over, but it's to pass judgment on him. And so now you know that a little weird thing about me, <laughs> just a little oddity that has nothing to do with anything, but it's good to see you, my friends. <laughs> and so if you have your Bibles, let's crack them open to Genesis. And while you're flipping there, I would like to remind you of the thesis statement of the book of Romans. So if we can pop up that memory work on the screen. Ooh, ah, mmm. All right, I'm going to ask some guy to turn me down a little bit for this because it's not like I've been doing memory work in my office. All right, let's give it a shot, should we? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation for all who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness that is from faith is written, the righteous will live by faith. That was, woo, ah, ugh. we needed to go through that. We needed that moment. Because if you're anything like me, you know, the tests you got an A on were the ones that came after the ones that you got a D on. (laughs) Let's not grow complacent. And so today, though, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be dealing with, I'm going to warn you, this is a really heavy, this is heavy subject matter today. It's it's heavy and it's going to feel heavy Because I want to ask a question, and that question is, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much evil in the world? And I don't think that I even need to give examples for to like, oh, and this and that and this and that, because I think all of us know that the world is evil. And a common motif in the style of music that I listen to is that this world that we live in might as well be hell. And what I mean by that is, like, there's even an album I listened to called How Could Hell Be Any Worse? And one of the major problems that these uh, musicians that are singing about that I hear over and over and over and over in in their music and in their messages is that if there is a God then that God is truly terrible for creating things the way that they are. And what I mean by that is if God is so good and God created everything, 
then truly your God is wicked because there is no end to human suffering. And what's interesting is they are not bringing up anything new. This has been something that mankind has struggled with for as long as we have wrestled with theology. In fact, inside theological fields, this very problem of how can God and evil exist together is called theodicy. And that's the field of study that if God is so good, why do bad things happen? See, the gospel is the power of God revealed to bring salvation to all who believe. But we have to ask the question then, salvation from what? What do we need to be saved from? And the answer, I mean, immediately what those of us who were raised in the church, we say hell. But I want you to know, I do enough evangelistic outreach to know that to a non-believer, that doesn't carry any weight. Because just in the same way that when someone tells me from another religion that I'm in, in uh, jeopardy of condemnation from their God, I'm like, well, I don't believe in your God. So your threat falls on deaf ears. So to say, oh, well, you need to be saved from this eternity that you know nothing about, that doesn't carry a lot of weight. So what do we do need to be saved from? And I say that the answer to this question when it says that it is the salvation of God revealed, what are we saved from? And that answer is sin and death. And I think that I can show that through the text that we're going through today. And we know what death is. We all know what death is. But what is sin? What does that mean? What does it mean to sin? And I think some of us have what I would consider to be like a little bit of a working knowledge in our mind where we're like, oh, well, it's when you do something that you're not supposed to do. Like sin's when you, you lie, you cheat, you steal, whatever. And, but I think that there's more to it than that. And so I started looking at different catechisms, and uh, the New City Catechism that I, I particularly enjoy says, uh, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And I think a way to condense that is to just say that sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God. Sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God. And as I read that New City Catechism that they make one for children, and there are these like really catchy songs that we like having CDs that my kids listen to, and so I'm hearing this in like song form in my mind that's made for children, which great way to teach your kids. But this idea about where did this sin come from? Where did it come from? Because God created everything, did he not? If God created all things, then did God create sin? No, he did not. So if God didn't create sin, why is this something that we as human struggle with? 
And if you want to know where to turn to, let's turn to Genesis. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, open them up. We're going into into Genesis 2, which means that if you hit page 3 in your Bible, you've gone too far. So this is the very beginning. Genesis is the beginning of all things. And I am going to skip chapter 1, but chapter 1 is God, through his will and his word, brings things into being that were not. It is God creating all things in the first three days, and in the second three days, he fills them with what belongs in them. And then on the sixth day, he creates man. He creates mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then he goes on to say on the seventh day, he rests, and that day is holy. And this is where we're going in chapter 2. So God has created all things. He has created mankind. He's created man and woman. And this is the story of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. This, and so, verse, chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he goes on, I'm going to skip some verses where he talks about the rivers that are flowing through the garden of Eden. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. The Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And you'll notice that there were two trees that were really mentioned, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was only one that Adam was told, do not eat from this, and it was the knowledge of good and evil. He could freely eat from the tree of life. That was not off limits to him. For when you eat of the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die, the Lord God said. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then it goes on that no suitable helper was found, contrary to popular belief. Dogs are not man's best friend. And it goes on to verse 23, or excuse me, uh, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed the place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and he said, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
Well, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now we're going to move along because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. But then if you keep reading, God starts cursing things. He curses creation. He curses the ground. He curses the things that had nothing to do with this, that were the, the thistles and thorns and weeds that were come up. God is cursing creation. And then he curses Adam and he says, now you will live by the sweat of your brow. No longer will your work be not filled with toil. And to the women I will increase your pains and childbearing, and there are these curses that are laid out. And the end of it, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken. For from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So let's break this down for a minute. I skipped over a lot of things because I don't have an infinite amount of time, but To break this down, what we see here is the original creation. God created the world and all that is in it. God created the world. God created the animals. God created everything. And what did he pronounce it? He pronounced it as very good. Very good. And so it was. Everything that God had created was very good. There was no... No hardship, there was no distress, there were any problems. And God created humans in his own image. And if we think about, if you've ever thought through, what does it mean that we were made in the image of God? What does that mean? And I don't, and I've spent a great deal of time to think about it, and what I have really reached the conclusion is, is that it means that we were made in the same spirit of God, meaning we have a soul. I love my dog, but I do not believe he has a soul. I think that we as human are the only creation that has a soul. And I think that's what it means to be made in the image of God as opposed to just another piece of creation that's surviving by instinct. He created us in his own image, shameless, pure, innocent, and by default, good. 
but not impervious to temptation. Innocence will not shield you from temptation. Being basically good will not shield you from temptation. And what happened when the first man and woman were tempted? They had one command and they violated it. Note, God did not violate a command. God did not do something wrong. God is not the one who is the the problem in this story. It is his creation that was made in his own image, man and woman. We are the problems in this story. And through that one trespass, a trespass against God's command, now a new thing has entered into creation. And that thing that entered in is that which is contrary to God's will. Up to this point in creation, nothing has been outside of God's will. Nothing. But now, through our disobedience, there are now things operating that God would not have operate. And you know who's pulling those strings is death. Because that is the price. That is the wage that is earned and the penalty due to living contrary to the will of the creator. The one command and it was broken and violated. God doesn't do wicked or evil things. Adam and Eve of their own volition, of their own will, broke God's law. Mankind chose to be disobedient to God. And like I said, through this disobedience, sin has entered the world. Death has followed it. The world is cursed. The serpent's cursed. Women are cursed. Man is cursed. God's creation in his own image is now marred. It is no longer perfect. It is no longer shameless. It is no longer innocent. It is no longer pure. And it no longer has good as a default mode. Because now all of humanity since Adam has had the knowledge of good and evil. And being not impervious to temptation, we all ever since have at some point in our life chose evil. That's, in my mind, the the real curse. Because if we as human could not keep one command when we were innocent, how much less could we keep any command having the knowledge of good and evil afterwards? If when we were pure and innocent, we couldn't do the one thing that God told us not to do, well, now that we have the knowledge of good and evil, how are we supposed to keep the multitude of things God has commanded us to do? And I think any of us who are honest with ourselves come before the Lord and no one comes before and say, I have kept your your rules, laws, and decrees perfectly since birth. So now let's crack our, our Bibles open to Romans because this isn't a sermon on Genesis. But we have to know these things in order for Romans to make sense. Because you're gonna hear the name Adam quite a bit. They're coming in this passage of scripture. And so I had to say it. I mean, I had to tell you the story. 
And so now, in Romans chapter 5, and it's verse 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. I'm going to take a pause and just let you know that everything I just taught you about Genesis, I exegeted this first. And I was reading Genesis 1 through 3 through this lens. Just to give you a little pause on that and so that as we keep going. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how did sin and death become a thing? This is going back to what I said about if God's so good, why is the world so evil? Why are these things happening? Well, sin and death came through trespass. Sin and death entered the world by Adam violating God's will. And through that, a pattern developed. A pattern developed of wickedness, disobedience. And mankind has been a slave to sin and death ever since. See, trespass leads to trespass. Disobedience, moral apathy, omission, and commission. When I say omission and commission, what I mean by that is there's two ways that you can sin against God. One is by doing that which he has asked you not to do. That's a sin of commission. Like God says, don't lie, and then you lie. You have just sinned by commission. But then there's sins of omission. And what that means is God says, I want you to help this person. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you keep going. You have not technically done anything wrong, but you failed to do what is right. And those are both sinful in God's eyes. And that's the pattern for all mankind. Because, and if you don't believe me, is that if you read Genesis after three, which is the fall of of man, 
and creation, you know who the next recorded human beings in Scripture are? It's Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve's children are the first recorded murder in all of history. So right out of the gate, what started out with, I'm just going to eat this fruit, quickly turns into a brother murdering his brother. And then if you keep reading and you go, Noah, is God looks at mankind and he says, their hearts are continually wicked before me. And I am sorry that I ever made them. I will destroy them all with a flood. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And mankind was spared through Noah. But God still sent a flood. And it wasn't until I was doing some master's work that it occurred to me all my life for reasons I can't begin to understand, I always thought that after the flood, somehow we as human were less wicked. Like I always thought like, wow, God, he wiped out the bad bunch. And now we who are out there running around, we're just like a little bit better. The text doesn't say that. We have no reason to look back at those people whom God destroyed with a flood and claim any kind of moral superiority. We cannot do that. We are just as wicked. Because sin rules over us and death reigns with sin. So sin and death go together. I want you to know, oftentimes we think of sin as something that we do, like sin is something I'm committing, and we don't think of it as a power that rules over us. Now, I don't really believe in like the devil made me do it, so I'm actually innocent. I don't buy that. This isn't an excuse, but it's a reality because how many of us have ever said, okay, I'm done. I'm done doing wicked things. I'm done living this way, only to find yourself right back at it. And then you are, you're wondering, what happened? I swore that I would never come back to this place, and here I am. Because sin rules over you like a driving force pushing you towards wickedness and evil, and I truly believe that. And with sin, death is pulling the strings. And that was never God's plan. God didn't want that. When he created us, when he breathed life into the mound of dirt that he named Adam, he did not want us to live this way. He didn't want these things to come into being. And yet they did. So let's avoid the Luciferian take of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve weren't liberated. And you might think to yourself, like, the Luciferian, what do you mean? Is that there is an idea out there that somehow the serpent liberated Adam and Eve because before that we were just like silly little automatons that that didn't know any better. And so we were just going about worshiping God because we were ignorant. And so Satan liberated us from that. And that is a lie. It's the same lie that he told Eve. It's the same lie. You will be like God. Well, no, you can't be like God. That's a lie. So let's avoid a moment, understand that 
the idea that Adam and Eve were liberated, that is a lie from Satan. We're going to avoid that. We're going to say it was never God's plan. God did not set us up for failure either. See, God didn't do evil. We did evil. And I say corporately, I'm not even going to pin this on Adam. And you want to know why? Because I believe in my heart of hearts that if Adam and Evan had been switched, I would have done the same thing. I believe that. I also believe that people who say, well, when I get up to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for Adam. Be careful because Adam can roll out his scroll and say, here's one sin, now let's see yours. Did a good job, Adam. <laughs> you know, let's, just, let's avoid that one. See, God didn't want this for us when we were created. And I want you to know, because I have wrestled with the idea that if God didn't want this, then why did it come to be? If God is sovereign, if God knows, if he knew all things, then why did he create us in the first place? You want to know the answer? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Which is where we round a corner in this sermon. I've been hammering on it. Sin, death, evil, wicked. Sin, death, evil, wicked. Wasn't God's plan. Wasn't God's design. But in the moment that mankind sinned, God did make a plan. He formulated a plan that we would not be subjugated to this. He provided grace for mankind in that moment. Jesus Christ was not God's plan B because the plan of Torah somehow failed. Jesus Christ, at the moment that man sinned, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He's on deck, just waiting for that time when he would come to be the one who bore that injustice on his body on the cross. That plan that God set in motion, we call it grace. Because I've been talking about how sin and death became a thing. Let's talk about how grace and life became a thing. Let's talk about that for a moment because brothers and sisters, we have hope. We really do. I preached it last Sunday. We have the option to have peace with God. The cessation of hostilities. Our sins washed away and remembered no more. The salvation from sin and death, meaning to be set free, to be saved from that. We are not stuck to that pattern. So how did grace in life become a thing? It came through obedience. As Adam was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. Adam failed, but Jesus succeeded. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts, theologians will argue with me on this, I believe that Jesus was tempted by sin. I believe that, because if he wasn't tempted, how could we say he was obedient? It says that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who, I, who can relate to us. How could he relate to us if he was never tempted? I believe that Jesus was tempted, but he remained obedient. Even in the garden when he said, Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was obedient. Death and sin came through Adam, but grace and life came through Jesus' obedience, obedience to 
the cross, making Jesus who is both just and justifier. Meaning, on the cross of Christ, justice was served. God's rule and law that sin must be punished was met. No one can say that God allowed sin to go unpunished. And if you believe that, go ask Jesus and say, why has God left sin unpunished? And Jesus will say, see my side. See my hands and my feet and tell me that God left sin unpunished. Sin was punished. And that's how God can remain righteous and holy even in the face of our disobedience. Jesus is both the one who is just and that he was obedient and in him there was no sin at all and the justifier and that through him we are given, graced that same righteousness. And so the reign of sin and death has come to a close. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus by faith, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer enslaved to death. We now give ourselves over to God to be slaves of righteousness and life. And I want you to think for a moment earlier when I said slave to sin, this force that's driving us, that's moving us forward, we are now driven forward by something completely different and it is good and it is loving and it is kind how many christians have stories where you just want to go to bed because it's the end of the day and then you get that phone call and you answer it and someone's in crisis and every part of you wants to say hey i'm sorry i can't deal with this right now but you don't That's what it means. We are driven forward by grace and holiness and righteousness. We do things that are good. We help our neighbors because we are compelled to do so. Just as one time sin compelled us to evil, grace compels us to holiness. Brothers and sisters, we are set free from the rule of sin and death. We are now receiving life. And we access it through faith, just as it was in the beginning. Because when I said, when we get to heaven and we see Adam, there should be a question in your mind. How do I know that Adam's going to be there? How is it that from Adam all the way to Jesus Christ, we say that these people are going to be in the kingdom of heaven? Especially when it says that the law was not given to Moses. So for 1,500 years, this system was not to bring about the forgiveness of sins, but to expose just how wicked we really were. And if you're like, whoa, 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 I shouldn't have closed my Bible because I'm gonna say it one more time that this is not something that I came through. It says right here in verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law was brought in so the trespass might increase. So how is it that we can say that these people are going to be in the kingdom of God? And here I'll give you an answer for that because it would be rude for me to bring up these questions and not at least give you somewhere to start with. And here's why. Is that from Adam all the way to Jesus Christ, all of those sins were rolled forward to the cross, though they did not know that. But they came to God in faith. And remember, it is through faith that God is accessed. Meaning, Abraham had faith. I believe Noah had faith. 
Faith has always been the way in which God is accessed, not works. So these people who followed God out of faith, they may have sacrificed at the temple, but those sins were not pinned on the animals that they sacrificed. They were rolled forward to Jesus. Just as how our sins are rolled back to Jesus. That means all sin of all mankind hung on the cross on Jesus Christ. That's a lot of sin. But brothers and sisters, that's what it means that Jesus Christ abolished the rule of sin and death. Because through Adam's trespass, mankind was cursed. Through his disobedience, we are cursed. But through Jesus Christ's obedience, that curse is broken. And we are no longer subject to sin and death, which just as a side note as I wrap up, I want you to know that if we are free from the reign of evil, that means that we are free to act righteously. And so no more, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know, no more are we who claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master, are we free to pick and choose which parts of God's word we will or will not follow. That means we must be in the word looking to conform our lives to God's will, whatever that may be. And I want you to know it is difficult to uproot sin struggles from inside yourself. Don't try and do it by yourself. I know that from experience. There are a lot of sins in my life that were continuing to hammer on me until I got in with a group of people and we were all working on solving that common problem. And then they evaporate. You don't have to do this by yourself, but my point is how many of us are picking and choosing which places we're going to act righteously and which we're going to say, eh, I know it's wrong, but Jesus has got this. No, we are set free from the reign of evil. We have nothing in common with it. So we are no longer bound to the pattern of evil. No, brothers and sisters, we are set free. We are set free, which means we are able to live holy and righteous lives. So Jesus is the pattern, total obedience, no picking and choosing. Let us be obedient as Christ was obedient to the best of our ability. Now I want you to know, as long as you're making a good faith effort, I think that's enough, because what I don't want you to do is hear in this and like go home and go like, oh no, did, did I lie to my bank teller like in passing? Like, ah, or... You know, whatever it is, like grace, mercy, grace and mercy to you. Like, do your best. That's all God asks. Don't allow yourself to get trapped in a system of performance. Okay? Like, that kind of just popped into me. It's not in my notes. Don't allow yourself to get trapped in a system of performance. Just go before the Lord as innocent as you can be. And if you need to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. But know that no matter what you do, Jesus Christ loves you. Do your best, but don't get trapped in a lie that says that you must attain perfection in order for God to accept you. We are made perfect through Christ, not in order to meet Christ. But through that faith, we have grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Now grace, righteousness, and eternal life is the pattern that we follow. 
We in the faith follow and obey grace for one another, practice righteousness, and the guarantee of eternal life with Jesus. And so the righteousness of God is revealed. Just like in the, in the thesis statement of Romans. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. To break the power of sin and death so that we may be free to pursue righteous lives and brought into eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we say thank you a lot, and we mean it. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the grace that you have poured out into our lives. Thank you for the love that you have given us. And I pray, Jesus Christ, that you would break the chains of sin that bind us. I pray, Lord, that today those who are struggling with sins that they believe are insurmountable, I pray that you would break those chains so that they would be free from that guilt. Lord, may we be set free and may we live lives that are free. Thank you for what you have done for us. We worship you, we love you, and we follow you. In your precious, holy name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Amen.